Hello and welcome to Across the States, the premier state policy podcast, courtesy of the American Legislative Exchange Council. Our discussion comes from last Friday's policy hour concerning the budget reconciliation bill currently proposed on Capitol Hill by the Biden administration and congressional Democrats. Joining Lee Shulk, vice president of policy at ALEC, are Stephen Moore, economist, Pennsylvania representative Seth Grove, and Chief Economist and Executive Vice President of Policy at ALEC, Jonathan Williams, to delve into the details and nuances of the reconciliation bill. Now, let's go to their discussion. So to kick us off, I'd like to turn it over to Steve Moore to give us a rundown on the state of play here in Washington. Steve? Well, thank you. And uh, it's perfect timing for this call because there is so much going on. I've been scurrying to get just the very latest information this morning because the House just released its first version of this $5 trillion monstrosity of a bill that I think is, you know, to without using hyperbole, I think this is really one of the worst and most dangerous bills to our financial and economic future that I've seen in 35 years in Washington. It is almost every bad idea the left has come up with in recent years is packed into this bill. There is a Herculean effort on our part with virtually every conservative group in Washington to try to defeat this bill. This is uh, not a fire drill. This is the real thing. And it will have profound impact on states. It will mean that we'll be spending the next 25 years of our political lives trying to undo the damage that this bill does. So we need all hands on deck. We need everyone to be engaged in this fight. It is, I've called it the war of the worlds. It's a, a war of a very left-wing socialist big government grab with redistribution, with modern monetary theory, with the Green New Deal all wrapped into one. And so anything that we can do to help you communicate to your fellow members or your constituents or others about this bill, people in the media, we are at your service. I'm heading up a group with American First Principles, which is a group that's headed by Larry Kudlow and Brooke Rollins, both who worked in the White House. And we're working with Jim DeMint's group, Conservative Partnership Institute. Alec has been helping us to the extent that Alec can. We've been working with Freedom Works and just dozens of other groups that are involved in trying to defeat this horrific, horrific bill. So boy, where do we get? I know we only have limited time. Let me just say this, that the spending in this bill is not $3.5 trillion, It's $5 trillion because They're using kind of phony bookkeeping and fake accounting to try to reduce the advertised cost of this, but it is enormous. It is an assault. I'm just going over some of the big themes. Then if you all want to ask me about some of the particulars, go ahead. But it is an assault against America's small businesses. If you ask me who the biggest loser in this bill, I'd say it's small business firms run by men and women around the country. You know, we have close to 30 million small businesses in this country. They will face substantially higher taxes, especially if they're successful small businesses. It's as an assault on uh, the death tax provisions would have a very negative effect on family-owned businesses, which are really the hallmark and the backbone of the American economy. It is an assault against American energy independence. The clean energy standards, which I'm not actually an expert on. I know people at ALEC know a lot more about that than I do. But the types of provisions in this would basically dramatically increase the price of electric power generation in the United States, lead to higher electric costs. And it would basically emasculate our energy industry, our oil and gas and coal and nuclear 
industry would be very, very much threatened by this bill. And you know this, that we get 70 to 75% of our energy from fossil fuels and nuclear power. So to do away with those is a very dangerous proposition that could lead us into energy poverty and to uh, monetary poverty. And by the way, that's a regressive tax because when energy bills go up, boy, Americans really feel it when the price of heating their home, air conditioning their home, the price of filling up their gas tank, all of those would be affected. Do not believe the lie that this is a uh, bill that is only going to tax people who make less than $400,000. That's one of the biggest lies that Joe Biden says almost every speech he gives. He says, you know, we're going to make the rich pay their fair share and nobody under $400,000 will pay tax under this. I think you all know that, in fact, there was a report that came out by the House Republicans, as you know, they're in the minority, that finds that 75% of American families would be affected by higher taxes under this bill. So it is going to affect every family in a very negative way. It will increase the inflation rate because if you borrow and spend money that we don't have, that pours more money into the economy and it is the very definition of an inflation. By the way, the American people get that. I've been looking at the polling. They understand that one of the ramifications of this bill is that it will make inflation worse. And inflation is a real hot button issue right now across the country. The polls are showing that what people are really concerned about when it comes to the economy right now is they're seeing the rise in prices in things like their food prices, their grocery prices, their gasoline prices at the pump. And that is a very hazardous issue for the other side because the reason Jimmy Carter lost the election in 1980 in a landslide to Ronald Reagan was one of the main reasons was that prices were rising so high and it was shrinking people's paychecks. So, you know, just other parts of the bill, it raises the capital gains tax very substantially, the dividend tax, investment taxes go way up. One soundbite that we've been using that is very effective with the public is that under this bill, because of the increase in the business taxes, both the small business taxes that I was talking about, and also our corporate tax rate increase, that American companies are going to be paying higher tax rates than communist China. <laughs> Let me say that again. We're going to have higher tax rates than communist China. We will also have higher tax rates on our businesses than Russia. And we will also have higher tax rates on our businesses than socialist Sweden. So this is socialism in a hurry. And so we need to really worry about that. Finally, on the debt, we have, I'm going to show this slide to you in a minute if we can pull these up that right now, every child born today inherits about a $75,000 piece of the debt. So it's like a second mortgage that we're handing to a newborn child of $75,000. We find, we've done these numbers, that if this bill were to pass, that over the next 30 years, that that share of the debt, so that is like when a child born today is 30 years old, their share of the debt, national debt goes up to 300 and $10,000. That's quite a legacy to leave for our children. And so those are some of the major talking points. I know that you all may have specific questions. As I said, this is a 2,500-page bill. So obviously, I can't go over all the horrors of this. It increases our debt. It increases our taxes. I'll just close by saying this. You know, I've been in this game a long time, as Jonathan has and Lisa has and others on this call. And I go back to, I arrived in Washington in 1983 when Reagan you know, the early years of the Reagan presidency. And we massively changed the direction of our country under Reagan with lower taxes, less regulation, limiting government, the size of government, where and when we could. And this is not hyperbole to say 
And by the way, those tax cuts then were extended and expanded by Trump. But we had the best economy ever, ever in our country's history before the pandemic hit. We had low poverty rates. We had low the lowest poverty rate, the lowest unemployment rate for minorities ever before in our country, biggest income gains. So this bill really reverses 40 years of progress that we've made as a conservative movement. Whether you're interested in school choice, gets rid of that. Are you interested in right-to-work laws? They want to get rid of right-to-work laws. If you're interested in supply-side pro-growth, JFK, Ronald Reagan, Donald Trump, economic policies, it does away with those. And Biden's saying that, you know, he speeches, he keeps saying something like, we're going to reverse 40 years of economic stagnation in this country. Well, you go back 40 years, that was the start of the Reagan revolution. No, 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 no. The, the stagnation of the economy wasn't in the 80s, it was in the 70s when you had, you know, Richard Nixon and Jimmy Carter. He's got his math wrong. We've had a pretty much an economic boom for the last 40 years because of the Reagan revolution, which turned into the, and even, you know, Clinton, what, what other thing, you know, we as conservatives put huge amounts of resources and energy and intellectual heft into the idea of welfare reform. And that was led by Republican governors in the 1990s. And we changed the welfare laws. It was a bill signed into law by Bill Clinton, a Democrat, that fundamentally changed the relationship between the state and individuals with respect to welfare. We kept in place a safety net, but we required work. We required schooling. We required job training to get people into the workforce. In one stroke of the pen, Biden gets rid of all of these work for welfare requirements, all the time limits. It's all just free stuff. Everything's going to be free. College is going to be free. Community college is going to be free. Prenatal care is going to be free. Child care is going to be free. Kindergarten is going to be free. You don't have to pay your rent. You don't have to pay your student loans. This is just a massive redistribution effort, and we have to stop it. Well, great point, Steve. And I think what you've outlined really shows that there is an attempt underway to remake a lot of America. And you touched on a couple of points, major implications for the federal tax code. And when you look at the reconciliation package, which you noted is just about 2,500 pages long, you know, we're not sure if people are, we pretty much know that folks haven't been able to read the whole thing. I, I mean, there's, there haven't been many lessons learned from the Obamacare debates, but the Joint Committee on Taxation has estimated that the current package would be a $2 trillion tax increase. And so I wanted to go to Jonathan for some of your thoughts on this and some of the other kind of alarming or concerning proposals that you've uncovered. Well, thank you, Lee. And as always, greetings from the land of make-believe here in Washington. And that uh, unfortunately rings more true now than ever with these multi-trillion dollar attempts to remake really the American way of life. And you know, look, our approach here at ALEC is an educational one, and strictly that. And we're looking to expose some of these big government ideas. And as Steve made the great point, and Lee did, that, you know, this bill is right now on the House side. This is the opening act. I and mean, if anything, this is going to get larger and more complex as we go, as it moves to the Senate side, potentially 2,500 pages long, longer than the Bible, ladies and gentlemen. But none of the good news, unfortunately, it's got some very bad news for taxpayers when it comes to the tax increases, the spending increases, uh, government takeover of uh, state autonomy and federal central planning. And Steve had a lot of important points on the tax increases. But, you know, it's, uh, as a wise man once said, surely we learn from history that we learn nothing from history. And so I think it's, you know, this is a lot of mistakes of the Obamacare debate all over again from 10 years ago. 
where, of course, infamously, Speaker Pelosi back then, now again, Speaker Pelosi said we have to pass the bill to know what's in it. Folks, I think it's kind of a radical concept here, but uh, maybe we just take a collective pause, as Senator Joe Manchin has talked about, to say, let's actually read what's here. Let's have an educated debate. Let's have actual public hearings, as Senator Mike Braun from Indiana has proposed in recent days, to say, you know, let's not rush something this consequential, whether you like what's in the package or not. Let's have public debates. Let's allow Americans and members of Congress and their staff to read the bill, and let's uh, unpack some of these things that are there. I think one of the reasons why we don't see that is, you know, people like Speaker Pelosi are looking at the polling. And recently, uh, Speaker Newt Gingrich outlined how Americans in general favor free market capitalism over big government socialism by 59 to 16 percent margin. Among swing voters, there's a five to one advantage for free market capitalism over big government socialism. And folks, when you figure out, you know, what's in this package of the five or five and a half trillion dollars of cost, not the 3.5 that the mainstream media repeats over and over, it's pretty clear that there's a lot of big government socialism as part of what's being talked about right now, whether it's the individual income tax increases, the business tax increases that Steve talked about that would make the United States less competitive than China. In all of our competitor countries. In fact, when you add the average state and local corporate rate to that new proposed federal rate, it would make the United States the third highest corporate rate in the entire world. And that's after the Trump tax reform got us back to average at 21%. This is just a huge step in the wrong direction of shipping more American jobs overseas again. Remember this whole phenomenon that we really suffered through for a decade about these corporate inversions of businesses becoming foreign businesses and leaving America for no other reason than we had the highest business taxes in the world. Folks were heading back in that direction with this type of a proposal. And then you look at, you know, and I think it's kind of important for us to think about this for a second in that regardless of what's actually in the current version of 2,500 pages that'll be talked about this weekend by the House Budget Committee and move forward in the House side, there's lots of threats that may come back as part of a Senate amendment as we go. So for instance, Things like this uh, just kind of a ridiculous idea that Steve and I have talked about of the IRS expansion to 87,000 new IRS agents and then giving the IRS the ability to go into the bank accounts of anyone that has more than $600 of assets or inflow or outflow from their bank accounts to go in and potentially uh, audit whether it's bank accounts, PayPal accounts, Venmo, Cash App. I mean, this is an unprecedented expansion of the surveillance state, and it should bother Republicans and Democrats, independents across the board. Recently, a Maine representative, John Andrews, who's actually an elected uh, libertarian, not a Republican in Maine, uh, has pre-filed a resolution in the Maine House of Representatives to push back to say this is an unprecedented government overreach. And so that's something we're hearing from, from legislators. A couple of other points, and I'll uh, turn it back to you, Lee, because I'm uh, really curious to get to Chairman Seth Grove's comments and what he's seeing from a state legislator perspective. But you know, a couple of other tax increases. Certainly, there's still the death tax, capital gains tax increases on the table. Whether it's in the current package or not, I think it's a real threat to come up as a pay for for some of this. Then there's the doubling of the tobacco taxes federally, including folks when people are trying to quit cigarettes and move to, let's say, less dangerous vaping type products, this actually raises taxes on a percentage basis more on those type of alternative consumers than it does on cigarettes. So once again, 
kind of the land of make-believe approach to tax policy, and then are targeting the natural gas industry and its consumers with the average $242 in new costs for the average family added to your natural gas bills. So just a few things that we're seeing as part of the discussion here in Washington. And let me just close with a piece on the labor front and also a piece on the healthcare front. One that really got my attention was the talk about the uh, electric vehicle tax credit. Now, you can talk about the merits of this or the demerits of this. We at ALEC, of course, like a broad-based tax code that doesn't pick winners and losers and doesn't have a ton of credits and deductions and special favors in the tax code. But one thing that really stuck out to me is it would increase the vehicle tax credit to 12500 but it includes an extra 4,500 credit for electric vehicles built in union shops. So essentially this discriminates against companies like Honda or Toyota or Elon Musk, Tesla, who have all commented publicly to say, this is absolute discrimination because of the way that we have our business run. And just because the, the hardworking folks at Honda in Ohio and Indiana and Alabama are non-union, somehow they get discriminated against in this kind of a proposal. And then uh, finally, Brian Blaze, our friend in the Wall Street Journal this week, had a really important piece to expose the expansion of big government central planning from Washington as it relates to Medicare and Medicaid expansion. So as you know, and you may be listening to this as a legislator in one of the dozen or so states that did not expand Medicaid under the so-called Affordable Care Act or Obamacare, some of the proposals being talked about right now would actually have the federal government go around the states, that decision that they've consciously made to protect their taxpayers from this burden of uh, increasing costs and bad quality healthcare, it would actually go and give subsidies directly to insurers. And after 2025, would uh, basically get around the decision-making of state legislators. That is, uh, to me, is one of the biggest assaults of federalism in some of the discussions right now in Washington, D.C. So, Lee, back to you. This is, once again, the land of make-believe economics at work. And there's a lot of bad ideas being talked about right now. Thanks, Jonathan. And you talked about the IRS proposals. One thing I just wanted to let everyone know about if they hadn't seen it already, our friends at the State Financial Officers Foundation released a letter on this proposal where they had 23 financial officers from across the country sign on to say that the Biden plan to monitor middle-class bank accounts is the largest data mining exercise in U.S. history. And I know that that list of state officers on that letter is growing. I'll share a copy of it in the chat box. But next, I wanted to go to our friend Chairman Grove for his perspective and his take on this assault from Washington, D.C. on state sovereignty and and federalism. Thanks, Lee and Jonathan and Steve. It's it's an honor to join you on this panel discussion. And here on the East Coast in Pennsylvania, it's like 2.23 in the afternoon on a Friday. And we are having some severely depressing news from our so-called friends in Washington, D.C. It's not a shock that the Democrats would be trying to do an Obamacare to not only our tax structure, but every aspect of our lives. And as depressing as it is to hear this from our federal leadership, we know time and time again, state leaders in every single state have come to the muster to defend our rights as states and our citizens time and time again. So this is a great opportunity for us as state leaders to draw a direct distinction between what's happening in Washington, D.C. and what real conservative leadership, real freedom, real liberty, 
and real economic freedom looks like by setting those policies and doing tax cuts here at the state level. That's the craving that I think residents in the United States are looking for. We constantly see inflation starting to rise. We start hearing moms and fathers at the grocery store being able to buy less with their paycheck time and time again. Those are the real results of the Biden regime and what Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer are doing in Washington, D.C. And we know for a fact states with Republican governors are more economically successful than those with Democrat governors. We know the direct impact of the added unemployment compensation bonus that kept people from the workforce for months. We know what happens when Republican governors ended that early and the direct positive economic consequences of that. So we have a real opportunity to show some great distinction between what the Democrats want in central planning and what Republicans deliver time and time again, what conservatives deliver time and time again. Freedoms, economic freedom, and the chance to really be successful no matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you live in the city. It doesn't matter if you live in the country, the mountains, next to a lake, next to the ocean. Our policies benefit everybody because we treat everyone equally and we don't believe in winners and losers. So this is a great time for states to really get bold and show bold leadership heading into the next year's election cycle to really show that distinction between the failures of Washington, D.C. and their horrible policies and what we can deliver as Republicans, particularly as state legislators, to show we do not need the federal government to tell us how to live our lives and how to operate our states. We saw it with not the CARES Act, but the uh, stimulus dollars under the Biden administration, where they tried to tell us we can't raise taxes. They will continue to try to hamstring our powers at the legislative level, state legislative level, to make sure we are not successful and offer that counterbalance to what life should be like for average citizens. So it's an exciting time for us and state legislators to really show that national support and what great work we can do to really bring those freedoms that I think Americans are craving nationally. Thanks, Chairman Grove. And I think you're right. And what we're seeing is that when policy decisions are made by our elected officials, and it has such a direct impact on all families from all walks of life, this truly becomes a, what should be a nonpartisan issue. And you know that's what's so great about us having this conversation right now, just to see what economic policies may be working or what economic policies may be failing the American people. I want to go back to you, Steve. You can see revenues have been pretty constant as a share of GDP. You know, there's no revenue shortage in Washington. We're right about 18% of GDP in revenues, which is about where we want to be. And then look at the spending. (laughs) You know, the spending is the problem. There's no revenue problem, Joe Biden. There's a spending problem. So we estimate that if the bill passes, if the Biden bill passes, that the debt as a share of GDP will go from right now about 100% of GDP, which is the dangerous zone, to over the course, relentlessly over the next 30 years, to 300% of GDP. That's incredibly dangerous. One of the implications of all of this additional spending is that more and more of the taxes we pay won't be for services, won't be for healthcare, won't be for national defense, won't be for schools, won't be for highways. It'll be just paying the interest on the debt. We estimate that, again, if the Biden plan passes, 25 over the next you know 25 years or so, about 25 to 30 cents of every dollar we collect in taxes will simply be to pay off the burden of the debt from our previous 
borrowing. Our defense budget, you can see that's been pretty constant. And we could have an argument about whether we need to spend more or less on defense, you know, a friendly debate on that one. But look at the problem. Look at the look at the non-defense spending. It just shoots up like a cannonball. So the problem, obviously, is not our military budget. It is the massive social welfare spending, which is going to be made much worse. So this is basically dousing a forest fire with gasoline. You know, and Steve, I'm curious as to you and, and Chairman Grove as to, you know, what is it that you think stands out the most? I mean, the IRS thing, I think, resonates with, you know, could enhance uh, the snooping to 100 million more American families. I almost think that there's a desensitization of the, what's happened, unfortunately, because there's just so many big, bad ideas being talked about when it comes to tax increases that I think it's a trillion here, a trillion there, sooner or later, you know, you're talking about real money kind of thing, where, uh, you know, I think things like this massive expansion in the IRS and auditing and snooping is the kind of thing that just hits home. And I think there's no question in my mind that that's one of the reasons why that didn't make it in some of the more recent versions. Now, as I said earlier, as we talk about these broad set of ideas, I think it's important that we don't look at what is in a particular piece of legislation, because this moves very quickly, as you know well, Steve, and as it goes over to the Senate side, there'll be lots of amendments. It could be 11th hour amendments. But, um, you know, just wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, what from a state legislator perspective you think would be most impactful. I'll just reiterate three quick points in terms of, I think, the soft underbelly of this bill. And I look, I think we have a good chance of defeating this bill. There is a big fight going on within the Democratic Party on this. Not a single Republican, thank God, is going to vote for this. So Democrats own it. So it's really a, an issue of, you know, how do we persuade moderate Democrats to vote against this? And I would say three things. Number one, the war on small business. Remember, I said that earlier. This bill is filled with so many provisions that it will hurt our smart businesses, new regulations. There's a provision in this bill that is paid parental leave. And by the way, in the bill, you're not going to believe this. I was reading the text of the bill. It's not even necessarily for you know a spouse or a child. It says for anyone you care about, something like that. So boy, if your next door neighbor's child is sick, you don't have to show up for work. It's going to be a nightmare for small businesses. And then the higher taxes will be paid by small businesses. That's number one. Number two, this is not a tax increase on the rich. It is a tax increase on everyone. Everyone is going to pay for this. And number three, the massive increase in our debt is going to put an enormous burden on our children. And that is not something a great country does. Well, one of the most kind of insane things that I picked up on that Steve, you and I have talked about a little bit is, you know, one of the quote unquote pay fors for this massive new growth in government is to raise the debt limit. I mean, how does that work? I mean, explain us uh, to this. There's going to be this vote, maybe as a standalone vote now, that would be completely one-sided, you know, vote, but there's going to be a needed vote to raise the debt limit. And they're going to consider that one of the pay fors of this. Is that right? Great point. So Chairman Grove, from your purview, you know, you run oversight there in the state of Pennsylvania. You've uncovered all kinds of waste, fraud, and abuse. You know, what from your perch and the state legislator's perch you think is most impactful right now from what you're hearing coming out of Washington, realizing this is quite the moving target and all these ideas? Yeah, I mean, what Congress does nationally, what the federal government does nationally impacts all of our economies. We can do whatever we want at the state level and drive economic success through tax cuts, reduced spending, 
reducing regulation, all those smart things that we know work and improve your overall economy, they will come in and completely sweep that. We know that for a fact. That is the scary part of this. It's that trickle-down effect that impacts all of us. And we all know there's 50 states. Some states make excellent decisions year in and year out. Other states, not so much. But you pay the consequences within your state for those decisions. We see it all the time from the influx of Californians going to Idaho, to Texas, California. And when the federal government impacts, there's no difference. It hurts all of us simultaneously. And kind of the nice part about state legislators is there's a bunch of us in moderate Democrat districts, and we're right around election time. So all these moderate Democrats are looking around thinking petitions are going out soon. Who's going to run against me? So when state legislators start getting public about talking federal issues, it makes, you know, congressmen, congresswomen, very nervous petition time to say, oh, they're starting to talk about congressional stuff. I better watch what I'm doing. It puts that added pressure on them. So if you're a legislator with one of these moderate Democrats who potentially is going to be a yes vote on all this horrendous spending and taxing that's going to hurt your economy, get out there and talk about it. Do resolutions in your legislature, speak on the floor, speak at local communities, work with stakeholder groups on doing panel discussions and community events discussing it, because that puts the added pressure back in their districts and makes them think twice about voting for some of this stuff. It's worked well with Senator Manchin on whether it's voting rights or ending the uh, filibuster. So adding that pressure to them is a very effective tool. It's a power we have as elected officials. So exercise all the tools in your toolbox to do it. Go back into your state legislatures and start talking about those policies that make you economically successful to build that contrast because our friends in D.C. are trying to stop this. We'll utilize those tools and show the differences, showing the difference of a California economy to a Texas economy where one state has no income tax and one state has the highest income tax in the entire country and show the economic division that people fling. That stuff helps build that record and puts pressure on Congress as well. So it's really up to us to fight hard and be smart about how we go about this. And we have tons of tools as state legislators to really help our friends in Washington, D.C. stop the bad stuff, as well as protect our residents from awful policies that are really going to hurt small businesses and the average citizen. You've been listening to the Across the State's Policy Hour discussion of the Reconciliation Bill on Capitol Hill with economist Stephen Moore, Vice President of Policy for Alec Lee Shulk, Pennsylvania Representative Seth Grove, and Chief Economist and Executive Vice President of Policy at Alec Jonathan Williams. Thank you for tuning in today to Across the States. Be sure to join us again next time for more of the Premier State Policy Podcast. Thank you for listening to Across the States, the leading state-focused policy podcast presented by the American Legislative Exchange Council, the premier free market organization of and for legislators. To learn more about our work or to make a tax-deductible donation, visit alec.org. Tell us what you think on Facebook and Twitter at Alec States. The views and opinions expressed on Across the States are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the American Legislative Exchange Council. 